Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth, where we're exploring all sorts of business topics. Experts from around the world join me, your host, Diane Helbig, for a conversation where they share their expertise with all of you. Take what you need, when you need it. Featured on Inc.com, Forbes, and MSNBC's Your Business, this podcast is recognized as one of the best podcasts for small business, sales, leadership, social media, and more. When it comes to business, Accelerate Your Business Growth has got it covered. And now on with the show. My guest today is Alexis Scalati. Alexis is the founder and lead tax strategist at Cerebral Tax Advisors, Cerebral Wealth Academy, and the author of the book, Advanced Tax Planning for Medical Professionals. She has over 20 years of experience in high-level strategic tax planning and multi-state tax preparation, and has trained at the highest level holding two master's degrees. Thanks so much for being here today, Alexis. Thank you, Diane. I'm excited to be here. I am excited to have you here. So we're going to be talking about uh, taxes, which, you know, a lot of people put their hands over their ears and say me, me, me a lot. <laughs> um, we're going to try and get them not to, um, because I think you have some really valuable information for small business owners, things that they might not be thinking about when it comes to tax planning, uh, or even just, you know, how they're, they're dealing with their taxes to begin with. So let's start by talking about uh, getting audited. Um, what are really the chances of getting audited by the IRS, do you think, for, for most taxpayers? It, it really depends on your situation. But in general, I'd say the, the chance of audit is low um, for, for true audits. If you've forgotten something on your tax return, like, whoops, I forgot to include this interest statement or this W-2, then yes, you're going to get a, a letter from the IRS saying, hey, we have this through our records, but we didn't see this on your return. So those sort of thing, those sort of notices are what I most commonly see. However, when it comes to true audit, like you're plucked from a group, um, there's always that chance where it's just a random audit. Um, but it's quite low, especially in the past. You know, since I've been working, you know, I've been doing this for twenty plus years. Uh, you know the the number of audits that I, true audits that I see have have been very small, maybe like one percent of all the clients I've ever worked on. Um, and like I said, most of the time it'll just be uh, a a CP two thousand notice <laughs> is what they're called, where there someone's missing information. However, um, you know if you're a Schedule C, so like your sole proprietorship. Those tend to have a higher audit rate than an S corporation or a C corporation. So it's important to know that because if you have the option or it's it's good tax planning for you um, to be an S corp or a C corp, then you know that will help lower your your audit chances as well. Oh, that's interesting. Is there a reason why sole proprietors are are that you know there's a greater focus? Uh, I think I'm not quite sure of the reason why, uh, just that there are, 
usually when you're doing those sort of activities, like um, there's more money laundering activities uh-huh. <laughs> through Schedule C's. And those tend to be um, more cash-based businesses like oh. pizza joints or laundromats. Um, there's greater areas for you know being able to to hide things and and so the IRS um, tends to look at those more. Okay, that makes perfect sense to me and so but it also leads me to another question which is other than the two that you just mentioned, are there other like specific industries that the IRS pays really close attention to? Uh, like I said, mainly those those cash based okay. industries. Um, but you know, other ones that that tend to have higher um, as well are the ones that just are more highly regulated um, as well. And so um, you know, you want to just make sure, like in in, in you just want to make sure that you're just being on the up and up and, and doing things properly. Well, that's usually the. <laughs> <laughs> The best way. Um, talk about this home office deduction, if you would, because I hear a lot about it and there's differing. I mean, I feel like I hear differing views, but um, who qualifies for a home office deduction? Yeah, th- this is actually one of the what, what I always feel has been a misnomer where people think, hey, if I have a home office, I'm going to get an automatic audit. Um, and that's because there are people who abuse it. But you know, to, but if you properly qualify, and that means if you have a space in your home that you use exclusively and regularly for your business, then it, and you keep track of all of your receipts for your home, and you apply the proper square footage percentage. So that means you take um, the square footage of your home and divide it by sorry, square footage of your the business use of your home and divide it by the total square footage of your house then that will give you percentage, let's say it's 10%, then you're able to deduct 10% of utilities, depreciation on your home, mortgage interest, uh, property taxes, homeowners association fees, repairs, maintenance. There's so many things that basically you're, if you, uh, uh, that you pay for your house, you can end up writing off. Um, so like I said, you just have to make sure that you're using that space exclusively and regularly for business. And uh, that you you keep those proper documentation. Got it. Okay. Excuse me. (laughs) Then here's another one that I've heard that I'm curious about. And that is um, paying your kids to do work in your business. What, what, (laughs) what's this story? Yeah, uh, no, this, this is one of my favorite strategies, especially if you have children that are of proper age. So the court tested age is seven and starting at seven, you can do it for younger children, but it's a little bit harder to justify um, your kids having a proper role in your business. So you have to make sure that your kids have a legitimate job, that you're treating them like employees. That means that they have their own bank account, that they're that their salary is going into, as well as you are writing, you've written down what their job roles are, that they have proper timesheets as well. And this will allow you to pay your child. So in 2023, for example, you can pay them $13,850 before they even have to pay any tax. 
2024, that bumps up to 14,600. So always look at what the standard deduction is for a single and you can pay your child up to that amount and it's tax-free. Um, what's happening is that your business is getting a deduction for your tax for your child's wages and their payroll taxes. So it's you're essentially shifting income from your higher tax bracket down to your child's zero tax bracket. So as long as you follow the rules and you treat your child as a legitimate employee, then you're able to shift that income to them and that will help them, you know, you can maybe put that into a Roth IRA for them. Um, that, you know, it's up to $6,500 for 2023 and up to 7,000 for 2024. Um, or you can even help to write off some of their, uh, you know, after school activities or clothing, things associated with the child. You just want to make sure that you're not putting that money into your kid's account and then you're taking it out to, to pay for your own household expenses or things like that. You want it associated with the child. Ah, okay. All right. I think that that is key. Um, it <clears throat> does bring me to a question about the kind of entity that you, you know, have as your business sole proprietor, LLC, S Corp, C Corp, whatever. How how would you suggest someone determine uh, what, what sort of entity they should be? And I'm going to ask it around um, the opportunities to save money. Got it. Got it. Yeah. That's, that's a bit of a... Uh, uh, it's not a black and white answer, unfortunately. <laughs> there is no because it really depends on the person's situation. And that's always kind of the 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 joke among tax advisors is that, well, if you don't know the answer, it usually depends. <laughs> um and so that's because you know it depends on how much you make. So if you're making twenty, thirty thousand dollars you know, as gross income, then a sole proprietorship is most likely going to be the best solution for you. Even going all the way up to about 200,000 is kind of my um, starting point where I start to look at, okay, maybe you should be an S corp or a C corp. Um, and so we're obviously just talking about solo people right now. If you are in a partnership, um, then obviously you would have to, if you have a partner, then you need to, you can't be a sole proprietorship. You have to be at minimum a partnership. Um, if not, then looking at an S corp or a C corporation. And so most of the time, I'm a big proponent of the S corporation. You know, that's a great way for you to essentially. Um, so, like with the sole proprietorship, 100% of your profit is subject to self-employment tax. So that's Social Security and Medicare. But with an S corporation, you allocate your earnings between W-2 income and distributions, and that those distributions are not subject to Social Security and Medicare. So that's where you can have a, a federal tax savings to you know help lower your taxable liability. However, you know depending on the state you're in, like me, I'm in Tennessee. S corporations aren't recognized by Tennessee, so they get automatically um, treated like a C corporation and subject to a six and a half percent excise franchise and excise tax. So that. 6% um, tax go at, at the state level and negates any tax savings at the federal level. 
So it, it depends too on which state you're in and the, you know, uh, uh, the rules around that state. So, you know, you, you, like I said, you, you really have to go and do the numbers, crunch the numbers to right. see which entity would end up working out the best for you. Right. <clears throat> right. I appreciate that information though, because it, it shines a light on, um, some of it depends on where you live. Some of it depends on, uh, revenue, you know, that there are a variety of factors. So that that's helpful. Yeah. Um, let's talk about deductions. So we, we talked about the home office deduction and paying your kids. Are there other deductions that you find people miss frequently? Yes. Um, one that I highly recommend it that you know, is, is the mileage. And people, some people are like, well, I don't really drive a whole lot, et cetera. But if you've established that home office, you're able to take mileage from your home to other places that you do your, your work. I mean, that could even be going to Staples for office supplies. Um, so, you know, being able to track that mileage, whether it's in a notepad or there's many apps out there that um, you can use, my favorite is Mile IQ. Um, you know, it, it allows you to track electronically, you know, where you're going and keep nice records and it spits out a nice report at the end of the year. And it really does add up. And I recommend people tracking their actual vehicle expenses, you know, like gas, repairs and maintenance, um, any tolls, car washes, tires, et cetera. And that allows you to then apply the business percentage of say it's 10% that you drove business, then you're able to go and take 10% of those expenses. So it, it can really add up quite a bit. Wait, um, you know, I wait, wait, yeah. wait. <laughs> so I use mile IQ. I agree with you. I love mile IQ, yeah. but am I understanding you right? That um, if I, find it let's use 10% because it's an easy number that that I'm driving my car for business um 10% of the time that then any other expenses with the car I can write off 10% correct yeah so you can either take the actual expense the, the business uh, the the business use percentage of your actual expenses or you can take the the standard deduct the standard mileage deduction. Ah, one or the other. Ah, got it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You still have to track your miles either way, yeah. uh, but uh, you know, it, like I said, it, it really, in my opinion, and what I've seen, it really adds up quickly. If especially with gas prices nowadays. <laughs> Um, that you're able to go and um, take the actual expenses instead of that standard mileage. And you want to look at it both ways at the end of the year. I mean, if the standard mileage is more, take the standard mileage. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. I didn't realize the, <clears throat> that you had an option on on the, you know, doing one or the other. That's interesting. Yeah, definitely. Hmm. Um, another one of my favorite deductions that a lot of people miss is what's called the Augusta rule or the 14 day rental rule. And I mean, I've seen this one all over the place on the internet and social media, et cetera. Um, 
but this is essentially it, it, you're being able to rent your home to your business. Your business gets a deduction for as a rental expense. And then you as the individual do not have to pay tax on that rental income. As long as it stays for 14 days or less, those days do not have to be consecutive. And this originated in Augusta, Georgia, that is where this law came because of the Masters Golf Tournament. And you have people there that will rent out their home for that two-week period. And basically, the IRS says, hey, you rent your home out for those two weeks. You can't take any deductions or like any expenses against it, but you don't have to pay any tax on that income. So people were getting $30,000, $40,000 of rental income and not having to pay a dime of tax on it. And so there's no restriction, though, with you doing this as well for your business. And you have to make sure to, to do it properly. You have to have a proper rental agreement in place. And you need to make sure that you are using it for a legitimate business purpose, like doing it for employee parties or um, uh, you know, board meetings, et cetera. And this will allow you to write off at, you know, some rental expense. And then you don't have to pay tax. So you're essentially creating additional deductions for yourself that you don't have to lay any real money down for. Wow. That that one is is interesting as well. So you could say, um, if you were having meetings in your home, does it, so it doesn't have to be in the space that you've designated as your home office? So what I do, so you need to establish a proper rental rate. And so you can take a look at um, like air, comparable Airbnbs, okay. or you can look at like conference rooms at hotels, et cetera, or like Regis centers where you can rent an, you know, a conference room. Um, and what I usually like to do is take two or three of those and then get a average price per square foot for you to rent it for the day. And then I apply that to the business square footage of my home that I would actually use. So there'll be uh, there'll be other people that'll say, "Hey, just do it to the entire house," you know, because you know if it were an Airbnb situation, you'd have to go and use you you you'd get the entire home, like right. all the square footage. But for me, I'm like, "Hey, I, I'm not going to include for my home. I'm not going to include my off my home office." Because I'm already taking a deduction for that. So I can right. see the IRS saying, hey, you're double dipping in there. So I exclude my home office square footage. And then I personally, and some of my clients do this as well, We I don't include like in my home, the second floor is my kids' bedrooms and the, the, like a playroom. So I don't include that. I just include the areas that I would use. So it'd be like the living room the kitchen, the dining room, the, the hallway that goes to the um, the bathroom and the bathroom itself. So that it's a bit more conservative. Uh, but I feel like if I were an auditor, I'd say, hey, that's completely reasonable and have less issue with the deduction. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thanks. I, I, I appreciate that example. That makes a lot of sense to me. It's interesting. Boy, I mean, most of us, I'm sure, are not doing this. 
Yeah, pretty much everyone that's come across my uh, that's has become clients of mine have not been doing it, and it's very easy to implement. It just takes a few minutes for you to 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 decide on a proper rental rate. So it might take like a half hour of research to go look at comparable Airbnbs and such. But once you have that established, then you can continue to use that rate. And I usually recommend to update the the rental rate each year. So. For maybe about half hour of your time, you're able to, um, you know, get some nice deduction off of it. Right, right, exactly. <clears throat> wow, Th- these are gold. Are, are there any others that, like, common deductions people are missing? Yeah, another one that I love is, uh, especially for those that work over 50 miles away from their home uh, are per diem rates. So these are rates that are set by the government for those that you know, um, have travel uh, uh, lodging expenses and then meals and incidental expenses. So what the IRS, oh, that's right, the IRS, it's um, uh, a government agency does is they set these rates for, let's say, lodging. And they say, hey, if you travel to Birmingham, Alabama for business purposes, and it's more than 50 miles away from your home, then you, you they give you a set rate. Let's say it's, uh, let's say it's $100 for, um, for lodging, but you, you're very frugal and you say, hey, I'm going to go to a Motel 6 and only um, it only charges me $75. Then you can actually take the per diem rate instead at 20 at, at $100 and you have that $25 difference that you get to take that extra $25 deduction without having to actually spend the money. So you always want to go and take a look, okay, where am I traveling? How many days am I going? And apply that per diem rate. They have it for, like I said, lodging. And then they also have a, a rate for meals as well. That allows you to compare and, okay, is my actual more or is the per diem rate more? And that, like I said, allows you to deduct more than what you actually pay. Okay, boy, I didn't know that one either. These are great. (laughs) (laughs) And now that COVID's over and we're traveling again for business, it's it's really valuable. Exactly, yeah. Oh, crazy. All right. But now I have, gosh, I have so many questions. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to switch over to, to like apps and software. So we talked about mile IQ. I agree with you. It's great. Are there other sorts of programs that make it easy to keep track of expenses? Yes. uh, I'm a big fan of QuickBooks online that they're probably like the number one um, software for keeping track of income and expenses. Um, this is for business purposes, obviously. Um, and th- it, they just make it super easy. There's so much content out there in terms of like on YouTube videos on how to use things. If you have questions, people have gone through it. There's like Facebook groups for it. Um, and so that's, that's the, the, the software that, you know, cerebral and my firm services. Um, but there are other ones out there as well. Like zero is another one. They're an Australian company, but they have a really big presence here in the U S uh, there's also wave. Um, I have not used wave personally, or, you know, like I said, we'd switch everybody to, to QuickBooks, but, but through our firm, but that's another great one that others have used as well. Um, so that's really for income expense. 
uh, tracking. And um, I also really like using um, uh, uh, like clients like to use other things like bill.com or Expensify that those are things, those are programs that help with going and um, uh, um, keeping track of, of expenses and, and, you know, they have a lot of OCR sort of technology to mm. capture information um, from receipts, et cetera. Um, but sometimes I, I mean, even when it comes to tracking receipts, I'm a little old school. I actually just use a Google drive. I take a picture of it. I save it in Google drive. I use a, um, a folder system. So like it says 2023 receipts, and then I have subfolders for each of the categories. And so I just save it right into each of those categories, like travel, office expenses, food, things like that. And it, it makes it super easy. I don't have to keep paper receipts, which are super annoying. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it makes things super easy. Um, but yeah, it, it, there's so many different variations out there, even when it comes to personal finances, like if you're wanting to keep track of the personal expenses, I mean, I personally use Monarch Money, um, but, you know, Mint just got closed down. They don't they don't have that anymore, but uh, there's there's a whole bunch of different mm. ones out there. There's If you just Google, you know, different ones, then, you know, there's lots of articles about best ones and you can find one that just fits your personality and how you work and and, you know, what's right for your budget as well. I appreciate that. Thanks. <clears throat> some of those I, I had not heard of either, but you did mention something that uh, sparked another question for me. And that is, would you explain to the listeners why it's important to keep your personal and your business finances separate? Yep. That's another big area that IRS loves to nab people on uh, is the commingling of personal and business funds. Um, and that's just because, I mean, think about it logically, if you have all that mixed, then the IRS really can't tell if they go to audit you what's a true business expense. And so they can technically deny you the deduction if it's not properly recorded and if it's if it's commingled amongst, amongst your individual accounts. So hmm. when you have a business, you need to always have a separate checking account, preferably having a separate um, a credit card account as well. And that credit card could even be a personal credit card, but you designate it for business purposes. Because, you know, especially if you're starting out with a brand new business, you, your business doesn't have any credit, it doesn't have really a history. So they're going to either give you a really small, like, credit limit, or they will go and um, not give you anything at all. And so if you open up a personal card in your own name, but say, hey, this is only for business expenses, then that's at least, you know, a, a big step in the right direction. Right. <clears throat> yeah. I, I like that a lot. It's, um, as you hear stories about people who pay for personal things out of their business account and then get in trouble for it. So <clears throat> I get that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah, Alexis, this is really helpful. It's very valuable. I, I it's an interesting. I, I guess what I take away from it, part of what I take away from it, is there's so much we don't know about what's possible, uh, and and potentially what we're missing out on um, with our taxes and planning. You know, for how we're working our business. That I appreciate the information. You know, you coming on and sharing this. 
information with the listeners. Yeah, yeah, it's been great. I I, I love teaching and, and educating because really everything it, everything is available to everybody in in the code. It's just being able to know where to get that information and um, use it to your advantage. Right. <clears throat> and and do it properly. Exactly. So uh, will you tell the listeners how they can find you, please? Yes. I actually created a special page just for the Accelerate Your Biz- Business Growth. Um, and that's just www.cerebraltaxadvisors.com forward slash accelerate. There's some freebies in there, some um, year-end planning and tax planning uh, checklist for you to go through um, that will help you when trying to prepare for your your taxes, as well as a free um, expense uh, organizer. So that that way there's stuff there for the home office. There's their um, information in there as well for expenses on your mileage uh, and and, your vehicle, as well as some other things. And so, um, you know, hopefully that will help people kind of, you know, kind of uh, um, um, start them on the right path towards making more deductions for themselves. Awesome. Wow, that's great. Thank you so much for that and for sharing all this information. And listeners, thank you. You are who we're doing this for. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Discover more episodes of this podcast and explore others at evergreenpodcast.com. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And if you're looking to get your sales strategy headed in the right direction, pick up a copy of Succeed Without Selling on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.